The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. going to get started here, so if you'd uh, find a place to sit, that'd be great. So I'm going to move up closer to you all since it looks like we're going to have a smaller crowd tonight. Okay, well, I'd like to welcome you all here this evening. Um, I know we'll have some more people filter in, but I um, just wanted to take a few minutes before we start tonight and just pray that the Lord would, would bless our time. So if you'd pray with me, I'd, I'd appreciate it. Uh, Father, we thank you for the grace and the mercy that you've shown us. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, we thank you for calling us together as your church. God, we thank you for your word, which instructs us. We thank you for the great history we have of your, your church proclaiming the gospel, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank, we're thankful that we are recipients of that message, and that grace and the mercy contained in those messages. God, I pray that you would um, bless our time tonight. Pray that it would be productive and beneficial for, uh, for everyone here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening. Um, you got a couple handouts when you came in. The first is our handout for this evening. And the second is a, a packet on preaching that uh, Pastor Jonathan is going to explain when we, uh, I'm going to interview him uh, for, for about half an hour and get his perspective on preaching so, starting out, why, why equipping forum on preaching? Uh, as I mentioned Sunday morning, it, it may seem kind of foreign. Why, why should a church, the majority of, of, of the congregants who, who don't preach on a regular basis, why should we have, why should we have a uh, equipping forum on preaching? Um, and four things that I, I just thought. The first is to grow in our love for, for Jesus Christ. So that's, that's our, one of our main goals always, whatever we do. If, if your goal is to grow in love for Jesus Christ and doing X, Y, or Z thing will help you get there, that's why we do that. Um, and it's by thinking about one of the primary means God uses to save sinners and edify believers. So when we talk about preaching, we'll talk about this later, but, but two of the main things that happen in preaching or the goals of preaching is that, that people would be saved, that Sinners who would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And secondly, that believers, people who already do know Christ and are saved, would be edified. They would be built up in their faith. So by, by learning about preaching, by learning how to, how to listen to sermons, um, we, we can more easily be edified. Third, by hearing our lead pastor explain his thoughts about his sermons. Oh, I, I mentioned this Sunday. I don't have a good analogy for this, but... It's, it's kind of like if the person who does the majority of the preaching, Jonathan, tells you how he preaches and how you should listen to his preaching, it's kind of like getting, getting the playbook. Like you know what he's going to do. You know how he's thinking. And so my hope is that hearing Jonathan talk about how he preaches, that you more easily will be able to, to receive that preaching and, and kind of get his, his main points and understand why he's saying certain things. And lastly, uh, why an equipping form of preaching 
is by reflecting on how we can be better listeners of sermons and how we can better apply those sermons to our lives. And thinking about uh, those of us who are in this room, um, we could lump ourselves into two groups. Those of us who will die in this church, and I mean that in a very positive way, not like catastrophic heart failure next week or anything like that, not someone passing away in the church. But um, Delta's 10 years old, and we are our younger people, and should we stay in Springfield for the rest of our lives, God willing, Delta will grow and will continue on. And my hope is that, that many of us here, we will stay in this church and we will, we will die in this church. This will be the last church we know. This will be the church where our funeral is preached and um, one of our pastors will be, will be doing that funeral. So that's my goal for talking to you and myself included in that, should, should we, we stay around the area, is that we would know how to listen to uh, Jonathan's sermons and we would know how to be built up within our own context and the second group is those who will not be in this church forever. So we know that Springfield is, can sometimes be a very transient uh, community, people coming and going. And Delta Church is, is that way too. I can think of all of, of my um, almost seven years here, how many people that I have seen come and go, and many of them for good reasons. Their job takes them elsewhere. They decide to pursue ministry elsewhere. Um, you know, people, people coming and going. So my goal for you this evening is that in talking about preaching, wherever you find yourselves, that when you're looking for a new church in your new location, you will know what good preaching is like, you will know what to look for, um, and you will know uh, how to find that, that church that's going to be a, a good fit for you. And not just a good fit in that, uh, yeah, the sermons sound great, but a good fit that I know I'm being fed by what this man is saying. So hoping to equip both of, both of these groups, those of us who will be here forever, and those of us who will not be in this church forever. So let's get started with preaching. Um, as I, th- I think I did with worship, and uh, as every bad valedictorian speech, you know, we start off with the definition. Webster's definition says this. Um, I came across this definition of preaching, and I thought this was so simple, um, but yet so profound at the same time. We're going to work through this. So if you look at this, this first quote, biblical preaching defined, this is a quote by Craig Skinner, Preaching is human presentation through the Holy Spirit's power of God's acts of salvation through Jesus Christ. So there's kind of three propositions in this statement. I'm going to go through each one. The first is human presentation. Now this may seem like a no-brainer for uh, uh, preaching, but preaching requires a person. Preaching requires a presentation. Romans says this, this is very good news, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news, but here's the problem. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So the message of the gospel necessarily requires a preaching and a proclamation. It needs to be presented. It needs to be presented. So that's the first part of the definition, human presentation. Second, through the Holy Spirit's power. Through the Holy Spirit's power. Uh, in two aspects to this, right? The first is, is that preaching is empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And this is something that is, is someone who preaches every once in a while, um, I, I, tend to, I tend to forget. I tend to get kind of inward and self-focused. I tend to think like, boy, I need to come out and, and swing for the fences and my sermon needs to be so good and so awesome and so tweetable. But really, that's, that's very me-reliant, me right? Um, what I've, I've come to realize and I have to realize is that preaching is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Here's just a few verses um, that kind of explain this. Acts 4.8 says this, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So there's the Holy Spirit empowers preaching in that the preacher himself receives power. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, this is Paul writing, he says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, so it wasn't just words, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So there's, there's power, as we saw in Acts, there's power for the preacher. But it's also our sermons, our preaching is empowered by the Holy Spirit and that there are the power the words receive words receive power there's power in the message because but also in power and in the holy spirit that's the words the words were filled with power in the holy spirit uh, a third verse first peter 1:12 it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have but now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So there's power in the, the activity of preaching. There's power in the person, there's power in the words, but there's power in the activity of preaching. Preaching is empowered by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 3, and 4. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of of the Spirit and of power. So the Holy Spirit empowers preaching kind of despite the preacher. Paul says, I didn't come to you with, with wisdom and profound words, but rather the Holy Spirit is the one who convinced you, the one who demonstrated that these words were true. So preaching is empowered by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit's power, but also, and this is just as important, and that preaching is applied to the hearer by the Holy Spirit. Preaching is applied to the hearer by the Holy Spirit. So 1 Corinthians 2. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. So when, when we come together and, and hear a sermon and Jonathan, Jonathan preaches, Jonathan is empowered by the Holy Spirit. But also at the same time, without the Holy Spirit empowering us, the, the sermon would fall on, on deaf ears. The Holy Spirit is the one who applies the message, God's message, to, to our hearts. So that's the second part of that definition. Human presentation through the Holy Spirit's power in, in, the, in the speaker, in the hearer, and then lastly, of God's acts of salvation through Jesus Christ. So friends, Jesus Christ is the object of all true biblical preaching. And I put down a few verses. I could have put down uh, many more, I believe. But just, 
just soak these in. And I've tried to underline the, the pertinent parts. But listen to this. And every day in the temple and from house to house, talking about the early church, the apostles preaching the gospel, every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching. What did they teach and preach? That, Jesus, that, that, that the Christ is Jesus. So they went about proving that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was to save Israel. So their preaching was Christ-centered. Their preaching was all about Christ and who he is and what he did. 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So this is their sole purpose. We preach Christ crucified. So they're preaching about Jesus, but they're preaching about Jesus being crucified. And as, as we all know, Jesus being crucified is good news because Jesus being crucified, there's a penalty that's being paid for, for our sins. So they're not just preaching that Christ is, is, or that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah, but they're saying that that Jesus Christ was crucified, and there's good news in that, that message because there's salvation, there's atonement, there's reconciliation, reconciliation with God. Their preaching was all about Christ. Acts 8, talking about Philip. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. It's very simply stated. He proclaimed to them the Christ. Acts 17.3, talking about what Paul's Paul's journeys. And Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them, talking about the Jews, from the Scriptures. <clears throat> what did he do? He was explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Again, the content of Paul's message is Christ. Paul writes in Ephesians, to me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. What is he going to preach to the Gentiles? The unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone was the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Paul again talking about uh, his, his, his trouble. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, what? Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So that's in the three times. Preach Christ, proclaim Christ, Christ is proclaimed. And lastly, Paul, again, him we proclaim, Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And in this outline, of, I've not done this before, but if, if there are quotes or pertinent things that I just wanted to include, I just threw them to the side so you'd read them at your leisure. Um, I love this quote by Richard Baxter, great Puritan. He says, I preach as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. His point there, that he has a very important message. He knows the men he's preaching to are dying. So what is he going to do? He's not going to skirt around the issue, he's going to preach Christ so that people can be saved because he knows that he doesn't have much time. He's dying, a dying man, preaching to dying men, so he's going to proclaim 
Christ. So in all this, I mean, you get the point that, that preaching, Christian preaching, the object of all true biblical preaching is Jesus Christ. That it, we see that in the New Testament, so we see in the New Testament that's what we should do as well. Now, there are several times where, uh, you know, a text may not have, even have the word Christ in it, but if you'll notice, good expository preaching, we'll talk about that word later, expository, always ends up, always ends up with Christ. You hear that every, every morning, every Sunday morning, Jonathan's ending with ending with Christ, talking about Christ. Uh, even, even from the Old Testament, we see that all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, um, is pointing to Christ. So that's a good definition of, of preaching. Human presentation through the Holy Spirit's power of God's acts of salvation through Jesus Christ. And I, I challenge you to kind of internalize this definition because when you, when you think about it this way, it's sometimes... It may be easy to come here on Sunday mornings and think, okay, well, this is, this is the time for the 40-minute the 40, 40 lecture um, or, or the 40, minute, um, 40 minutes of, of, of words. But when you think about preaching of human presentation through the Holy Spirit's power, that, that second part, through the Holy Spirit's power, on Sunday mornings when Jonathan or, or anyone is preaching up here, um, the Holy Spirit is working. And it's kind of neat to think that that that's, that's going on, that the Holy Spirit is empowering Jonathan, but at the same time, we who are hearing Jonathan, the Holy Spirit is working on our hearts, and he's empowering those, those words. And, and lastly, of God's salvation through Jesus Christ, we hear that every, every Sunday morning. So that's the New Testament. Now, I also wanted to show us that, that really Christian preaching, as I just described it, isn't, isn't a new thing. So we saw it in the New Testament we do it nowadays, but there's a long history, uh, 2,000 years between the time of Christ and us where this has, has gone on. Uh, the apostles, Mark, and he appointed 12, this is talking about Jesus, he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. And these, this is the early days of Jesus' ministry. His disciples, I, I don't believe, have been him, with him that long when he says this, and already he's sending them out to preach. And when Jesus leaves his disciples, before he ascends into heaven, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Early church, we can find many examples. I like Tertullian, so I'm going to quote him. He's talking about what the Christians did when they met together. We assemble to read our sacred writings. So they're reading scripture. And with the sacred words, we nourish our faith. We animate our hope. We make our confidence more steadfast. And no less by inculcations of God's precepts, God's precepts, we confirm good habits. In the same place, also exhortations are made. So there's someone exhorting, someone, I guess we could use the word preaching. Rebukes and sacred censures are administered. Zoom forward to the Reformation, Calvin. This is a, this is a good quote, talking about where, where preaching is, the church is there also. He says, Whenever we see the word of God sincerely preached and heard, wherever we see the sacraments administered according to the institution of Christ, there we cannot have any doubt that the church of God has some existence. So you kind of flip it, flip it backwards. Calvin's saying, that preaching is a necessary part of the church. So he says when you hear when you have preaching 
And when you have the Lord's Supper and baptism rightly administered, there you have the church. So also, if you flip that around, you could say that without preaching, there is no, there is no church. Expository biblical preaching is the mark, one of the marks of a church. So preaching is necessary for a church. And Luther, this is good. I, I like this. I like this quote by Luther. So if, if you're not a student of the Reformation, let me just kind of put this into context for you. So after the time of the apostles, uh, after the early church, during the medieval times, the church kind of got, uh, for lack of better terms, a little, a little sick, um, a little ill. Um, the gospel wasn't preached as much. There wasn't uh, holding fast to God's word. There was a, a powerful church that maybe emphasized uh, opulence and, and, and wealth instead of the, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so um, a lot of people had issue with this. One of those uh, persons was Martin Luther. Um, so there was a need for things to change within the church. So Luther, he came to a right understanding of the gospel. He was reading the Psalms and Romans and came to be a believer. Uh, he used to be a very good monk. He said, if anyone can be saved by monkery... Surely it was I. Um, but he came to know Christ. He continued, he started preaching the gospel. And Luther preached God's word in, a, in an area where God's word really wasn't preached. And so he writes this, recalling these events. I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. So he's preaching God's word. I did nothing. And then while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my Philip, Melanchthon and my Nicholas von Amsdorf, the words so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor did such damage to it. I did nothing, the word did it all. So what Luther is saying here is, I preached God's word. God's word is powerful. The preaching of God's word is powerful. After that, I kind of sat back, drank some Wittenberg beer, and look what happened. Uh, what an amazing thing God did through, through his word. Luther is a very quotable man, if, if you didn't know that. So uh, I went to a seminary that uh, didn't allow alcohol, so to read this quote in some, some lecture notes that did my, did my heart well. Um, so Luther, he preached, and he let God's word do its work. We fast forward to the Puritans, the evangelicals. Rich Baxter, we quoted him earlier. Talking to uh, other pastors, he said, in a word, we must teach them, we must teach the, the Christians in our care, as much as we can of the word and works of God. Oh, what volumes, oh, what two volumes are these for a minister to preach upon? How great, how excellent, how wonderful, how mysterious. All Christians are disciples or scholars of Christ. The church is a school. We are his ushers. The Bible is his grammar. This is that we must be daily teaching them. In Spurgeon, this is a, a great quote too. The motto of all true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and Him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir, then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. That's kind of like good Victorian England, sir, you know. <laughs> Hits him with a glove. Um, yeah, so go home, don't preach Christ until you have something worth preaching. So I say a lot to say this, is that we are in a long line of faithful biblical preaching, and we seek to tread the same path. We're, we're really not breaking new ground here. Um, Christians have always preached God's word. Now, preaching today, culturally speaking, the word preaching brings many images to mind. A teacher yelling at a misbehaving student, parent lecturing his teenager, 
feeling that a non-Christian gets when a Christian is speaking truth, you know, that kind of, don't, don't you preach at me, don't be preachy. Uh, but, but really, this isn't, this isn't preaching, and unfortunately, the word has taken on a lot of negative connotations. I mean, even in some Christian circles, well, they don't call it a sermon, they call it a message. They don't say, you did a great job preaching, you did a, they say, you did a great, great job bringing the message, or that was a, a good word. Preach, unfortunately, in some circles, has come to have a negative connotation. That's something we should, we should push back against. Um, even in a Christian context, there can be different images that come to mind when one hears preaching. You think delivery, the spectrum. There's dull and boring. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the movie, but what is it? Pride and Prejudice. There's a, my wife loves it. There's a, a pastor in there, and he's preaching, and it is just the dullest thing you've ever, ever heard. And you're like, if I was there, I would be, I'd be sleeping. But on the other hand, you, you've probably seen some people on, on TV, you know, a fiery evangelist who's beaten on the pulpit. Um, so there's a spectrum there. And a good quote by Abraham Lincoln, when I hear a man preach, I like to see him act as if he were fighting bees, you know. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan's mentioned that before. I think that's what he goes for sometimes. Is that right, Jonathan? Yeah. Fighting those bees. Um, you know, content. So there could be you know, run the spectrum that could be Bible-based like we have here, or it could be idea-based where they never pick up the Bible, but it's the preacher's own impressions. And preparation, it could be 100% rehearsed or 100% extemporaneous, uh, off-the-cuff off preaching. There are many preaching methods, but, but few of them are, are really good. So the question that I want us to answer here is, what is good preaching? What is good preaching? And the answer I put forward here, good preaching is three things, we'll spend a lot of time on the first one, is expositional. Expositional. Um, this may be a new word for some of us. Um, same kind of root for exposit, expound, talk at length on a, on a given subject. Um, I wanna, want us to, to read this. It's a pretty lengthy definition, but we're going to break it down into four parts it's expository preaching. This is a definition by uh, Al Mohler. And, and most of this section is, is from Al Mohler. So expository preaching is this. The mode of Christian preaching that takes as its central purpose the presentation and application of the text of the Bible. All other issues and concerns are subordinated to the central task of presenting the biblical text. As the Word of God, the text of Scripture has the right to establish both the substance and the structure of the sermon. Genuine exposition takes place when the preacher sets forth the meaning and message of the biblical text and makes clear how the Word of God establishes the identity and worldview of the church as the people of God. Now, that's, that's a big quote, so we're going to break it down. The first part of that is expository preaching. The central purpose is the presentation and application of the text of the Bible. So the starting point for an expository sermon isn't, well, I have some idea that I want to talk about, or I have some problem that I want to back into, and so I'll find some scriptures that support what I think I want to say. It really starts from the text of scripture. 
the text of the Bible is the starting point. And be, because of this, you know, First Timothy, Second Timothy, I'm sorry, Second Timothy three sixteen. That's a typo. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So when our view of Scripture is that it's God-breathed, so it's, it's God's words, and that it's very important. It can do many things. It's very, very helpful. And so that's why we base our sermons on Scripture, not on our own feelings or our own impressions or even dreams or visions or anything like that. It's all based on God's Word. Since Scripture is inspired by God and is extremely useful, it is the starting point for our sermons. And when Al, Al Muller says that they present the meaning of the text, and when you do that, um, how does Jonathan prepare? How does a, a preacher prepare? Well, he does a few things. Historical investigation. So when you're preaching through the book of Daniel, you have to know what the world of Daniel was like. You have to know about the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire. You have to know uh, Old Testament biblical history. You have to understand what was going on in the, in the world at that time. Presenting meaning also in, involves literary and grammatical analysis. So when Jonathan preaches through the New Testament, he's got uh, a, a layout of, of the Greek text, and he's, he's working, through, working through those words, working through the grammar, working through the structure of the text. He's seeing how, how parts fit together. And I love, it's really easy to do this with Paul, but if you take a chunk of Paul, anything he writes, there's a, there's, it's almost always, here's my main point, and here's why I'm saying these things. So, it's, so when he comes to a text like that, we may talk about this later, he, doesn't, he focuses on Paul's main point. He doesn't focus on like the fourth most important thing in that whole, whole paragraph. Paul's main point is Jonathan's main point. So he's analyzing the text, and he employs, a good preacher employs the analogy of faith. This is one way of saying that we let Scripture interpret Scripture. So when we come to a hard part of Scripture, we're like, what in the world does this mean? We don't throw up our hands in the air or we don't develop some heretical doctrine. We say, okay, let me go to different parts of the Bible that talk about the same issue so that I can view this hard part of Scripture by what I know in these easier parts of Scripture. Um, that's the analogy of faith letting Scripture interpret Scripture. So that's what Jonathan does. The central purpose is the presentation and application of the text of the Bible. Second point is this. <clears throat> All other issues and concerns are subordinated, meaning they're giving less, less importance, they're, they're pushed down to the central task of presenting the biblical text. So there are, good past, there are pastoral, pastorally good motives that must subordinate themselves to the biblical text and not authoritatively direct the sermon. For example, um, say someone wants to preach an evangelistic sermon or say that there's um, you know, a, a sudden death in the church on a Saturday and the, the preacher feels like on Sunday I must somehow address this or talk about this in my my sermon. So that's good, good motives. I mean, you want to preach evangelistic sermons. You want to help and comfort your congregation um, during a time of need. But what you don't do, you don't say, okay, I've got this topic and I'm just going to talk about this topic. No, what you do, you find a piece of scripture, 
that talks about your topic. And you get into that piece of Scripture, and you let that Scripture explain everything, everything you want to say. So here's a quote from uh, Al Mohler. Evangelistic and edifying preaching takes place, however, only as we present and explain the biblical text itself. If a preacher leaves the pulpit without accomplishing that primary task, that is to say explaining the text, then no matter how much the congregation enjoyed the sermon or felt moved by it, his people will die. That's, that's, that's all right, Al Mohler, you know. So if Jonathan doesn't preach from the scriptures, you're all going to die. I, is that, I don't know if that's what Mohler's saying, but, um, but certainly if, if, if you don't, aren't fed a steady diet of expository, expositional preaching, then um, certainly your faith is going to be or may be lacking. The third part of Muller's uh, definition is this. The text of the sermon has the right to establish both the substance and the structure of the sermon. So the substance of the sermon we talked about, we, we preach what the text says, but also the shape of the sermon. Uh, that may be something that you want to ask Jonathan about. I, um, I, I don't structure as many sermons as, as he does, but we see if, if Paul has his main point and then three subpoints to prove his main point, your sermon may look like, look like that. And fourth, the preacher sets forth the meaning and the message of the biblical text and makes clear how the Word of God establishes the identity and worldview of the church as the people of God. In other words, application. The preacher explains how the biblical text directs our thinking and our living. And this is hard because being told what to do does not correspond to our, our current culture. No one likes to be told what to do in our society, in our culture. And second, our human sinfulness um, just rejects that idea, right? We don't want, our, in our sinful human nature, we don't want to be told what to do. But the divinely inspired Word of God is authoritative and demands our submission to it. The preacher must boldly, confidently, yet humbly apply the biblical text to the lives of his audience. So that's expositional preaching, expository preaching, I know a lot of us have heard this word before, maybe didn't know what it means. Hopefully this is a helpful introduction and explanation. So good preaching, secondly, bridges the gap between the world of the text and the world of the audience. And I like, I like this aspect because when we come to the Bible, it's a very old book. It was written um, in, in parts addressing certain situations. So when Paul writes to the Corinthians about sexual immorality in the church, he had a very direct message to that specific church at a specific time in history addressing a specific need. So when we come to that text, we have to draw a bridge between those two, two worlds, the word of, world of the text. Paul's telling these guys to, to be faithful in their marriage. Well, how does, how does this translate for us today? That's an easy translation. There are some harder ones. You know, um, I... I I'm having a hard time thinking of one off the top of my head, but when you have something addressing specifically in the original context, how do you apply that today? So good preaching bridges that gap. It says this was true of this specific audience, but this principle is true for us today. So good biblical preaching bridges the gap between the world of the text and the world of the audience. And thirdly, good preaching proclaims Christ. Just as we saw, everyone... Uh, every, all those examples of the early church, they were preaching Christ, preaching Christ, preaching Christ. Good preaching proclaims 
Christ. What are the goals and effects of preaching? Sinners are saved. That's obviously one of the main goals. People hear God's word. They understand their sinfulness. They understand what a great Savior Jesus Christ is, and they're saved. Believers are edified, so um, every sermon isn't evangelistic. A lot of sermons are directed at believers who may be very mature, but the point is to edify or to build them up, to solidify their thinking. And the third, God is, God is glorified. It's, it's an act of, it can be an act of worship. Preaching can be an act of worship because what are you, you do, doing? You're, you're proclaiming the excellencies of God. You're telling people how good and how great God is. God is glorified, but God can also be glorified in your listening to the sermon. That's an act of worship as well. So we at Delta, we preach expositionally. We explain the text. We preach through sections of the Bible, generally. And so a great, great part of preaching through uh, the Bible the way, the way we do at Delta, and Jonathan, I, I know you've probably... Sorry, man, I know it has to be personal. I'm talking about you, so... And Jonathan. Um, but Jonathan, uh, yeah, he's getting a little sweaty. You've heard him several times say, wow, I came to this text, and this is just... It's hard to understand. So if we didn't preach through sections of the Bible and we got to pick and choose what we preached, we'd just cherry-pick the easy stuff, we'd leave the hard stuff behind, and then God's Word wouldn't fully be taught, wouldn't be taught at Delta. So that's why we preach through sections. We preach on specific topics when necessary, but when we preach on topics, we don't just say, well, these are my thoughts. What do we do? We, if we're preaching on a topic, we go back to a text that talks about that topic, and we explain that text, and we preach Christ-centered sermons. Um, I just, I, I can't tell you how many times, and this is great, I can't tell you how many times I've heard when Tom's a gathering pastor, when he comes up, like to introduce communion, he's like, well, you've heard the gospel. And it's true, because Christ is preached. I mean, how many times do you say that, Tom? Like, nearly every time you've heard a clear presentation of the gospel, clear presentation of the gospel, our sermons are Christ-centered. So that's our first section. Any questions on that? I know that's a lot all at once, expositional preaching. What, what does preaching look like? Um, we're going to hear from Jonathan that we're going to talk about listening. But before we get there, any questions on anything we've covered? That's a great question. Um, so if, I know you're asking for my opinion. Um, I would say that sometimes it's easier not to preach um, an expositional sermon because you can kind of uh, come to your study, get some books, and, and write with your own thoughts on, on, on a particular topic. Um, secondly, I think as, our, as the church kind of gets slides into that kind of easier believism. Like, I don't want to be pressed as much, but I just want to hear um, things that I want to hear. And you, you think of, not all mega churches are like that, but a lot of mega churches are like that. Um, you know, I'll just name drop. Joel, the Joel Osteen-ish kind of thing. Um, you know, I think that's attractional. Like, I want to hear how great my life can be now. I, I don't necessarily want to hear uh, an expo exposition on, you know, uh, 
apocalyptic literature in, in Daniel. So I, I think it's a two, I guess, twofold thing. First is it's easier to preach non-expository sermons because you don't have to work through the hard stuff. You can just do whatever you want. But also, um, I think it's, um, it's easier for people to listen to. So if you're wanting a big church, um, you know, there's a lot of big, solid churches, but if you want a big church, it may be easier just to, I don't know, not preach expositionally. I don't know. Your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think I think that's it. And unfortunately, um, so here's here's the thing. I know um, we have uh, a great pastor who puts in a lot of work, um, and he has a lot of demands on his his life just being our, our pastor. But as as you start getting into you know bigger churches in the celebrity type of, of of pastors, there's more pressure. They have to do so much. You know they're their hours are, are nonstop. They're always, always working. And so even someone who means really well, like someone who is a legitimate good pastor serving his flock, it's just easier. I don't have that much time. It's Saturday night. I've got to preach tomorrow. So I'm going to give, I'm going to give you what I got, you know, and, and, and not do the work. So yeah, there's a, I think there's a practicality aspect too. Unfortunately, I'm not, not excusing that, but uh, I think it's, it's practical. Yeah, good question. Any other questions or, or comments? Okay, without further ado, I'd like to invite our master pastor to come on up. Um, what I want to, uh, would, I really enjoyed the worship um, equipping forum when we, we brought up uh, the elders and we, we talked about, um, I'm sorry, we're going to have to scoot back. We talked about, you know, aspects of, of worship and how each person uh, approaches worship. Um, again, I, th- I just think this is great to hear how Jonathan uh, preaches and what he wants us to know about his preaching. So Jonathan, first off, um, just on behalf of the church, and I wish this was a Sunday morning um, to say, but thank you for all the hard work you put in. Uh, and I, I, I know I get a text from you sometimes very late at night knowing that you're, you're working into the wee hours of the morning um, because you desire to preach expositional sermons, you desire to give us milk, or meat and not milk, um, and you, you work very hard, so thank you for, for everything you do, and I know I preach, or I speak on behalf of, of the entire church, so we know that's not an easy task, thank you for what you do. Um, so just to kick us off, um, since we just finished talking about expositional preaching, when you come to a text, when you come to a text of scripture, how do, you, how do you craft your sermon? I guess, and that's a big open-ended question. So how do you craft your sermon? Yeah, so what I typically try to do when I come to any given text of any week that I'm going to um, approach, um, a lot of it starts off with um, that expositional idea. And so I, that second packet of papers that you got, it should have three sheets of paper in there. And so you have one of them that just says preaching steps, a guide, and then another one is sort of nameless, but um, something I just might, you might want to call like a sermon worksheet. 
And so what I do is whenever I approach a text, that preaching step, a guide, one, I want to give this to you because one of the things I'm going to be asking you later is how you can pray for me. And one of them is just to have this in front of you. This is a sheet of paper that I have up in front of me um, continually. It's just posted up on, on my desk in front of me of how I try to approach a text on any given week. Um, and so when I prepare to um, craft a sermon, what I do is, you know, I first do that prep guide, that prepping step, and then that think empty step is what follows next, right? I start working through um, the preaching text, different translations, looking at the original, trying to understand just what is being being said there. Um, and then I'm using different colored markers. I got a pencil and a pad of paper. I'm writing down thoughts and ideas and links and lists and these sorts of things, drawing circles and lines on my preaching text. And then that step four there, you see what my goal is because, as he said, expositional preaching, it takes work. Um, I remember one of my preaching professors says what he's trying to do is get, like, he, like what he wants to do in his study in the year 2016 is to make it feel like he's got the dirt of Palestine on his feet in this study during the week. And what he meant by that was he's trying to so immerse himself into the realities of the context and the history and the thoughts of what was going on in the text so that way he can understand the original intent that was meant to be given to the original hearers back when the original author wrote it. And so you can bypass all that by just jumping right into commentaries and seeing what other people have thought about it. But really my aim is to, like, I want to experience the text before I come and try to help you experience the text. And that just goes to part of the question that you were talking about, Chance. Like, it's just, it can be easy to do the other thing, right? See what a bunch of other people said, craft something together, and then just get up and sort of spout it off on a Sunday morning. But my aim is to try to spend time in the text so I can experience it for myself um, as I do all these things. And then using my notes, step five there, for steps two through four, what I do is I create a textual outline. What I do is I start marching through the text and start just trying to go, okay, what exactly is the text saying? And so then I check myself. I read, read full. So now I've prepped. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to work in me, God to open my mind. I've sort of thought all my thoughts and processes, maybe illustrations, applications. Got those on a scratch pad next to, next to my Bible. And then that read full portion is, um, the good news is, you know, like I don't have to recreate the wheel. The same Holy Spirit that lived in me is the same Holy Spirit that lives in other brothers who've preached this before down through the history, through different commentaries and those sorts of things. And so what I want to do is check my work. Like, am I even thinking in an orthodox manner? Am I just completely off base? Other guys will bring up points. I'm like, man, that's phenomenal. Like, and I didn't even think about that. And so even the Holy Spirit uses that kind of avenue in work. And then when it comes to that right, clear portion, right? So what I do is um, just using all of that information, what I try to do is come up with just a statement of what this text means, um, to the original audience, step eight, what I do is I then go next to the main point, um, um, the text. I try to go, okay, so what exactly does this mean? It's that portion there of bridging the two worlds. Just because this point meant something 2,000 years ago, it's the main point of the text. doesn't necessarily mean that's the, like, I want to get up and use that exact same language, right? And so an example might be Daniel 7. Daniel 7's main idea was, my sermon main idea was, God's people are going to suffer, but they have the promise of the future victory to come. Well, that was 
craft it a little bit to be my sermon idea, the main idea of the text would be something more along the lines of the nation of Israel needed to, it needed to know that God's future people are going to suffer, and so they, God gave them a promise that, right? And so it's sort of that language there. There was something very specific towards Israel. So what I do is I go, okay, what did just like the first hearers, how would that have landed on their ears? And then to go from there to go, okay, so if that's what the message they were supposed to hear, how do I actually bring that forward to what our context is? And that's where you get that sort of step seven and seven and eight. And then when you come down to nine, um, using the main point of the text and the main point of the sermon, which came from the main point of the text, then I start going through that sermon outline going, okay, what are the supporting points? How can we march the text? How can we bring ideas that support this main message? So that's just always sitting there. The thing that I have in front of me that I'm constantly working on is that second sheet of paper in that packet there. And that's just what you, what you see. I fill out one of those every single, every single Sunday, right? Main point of the text. So I'm sitting throughout the week in my study trying to look, think, draw lines, connect, commentaries, these sorts of things, so I can come down and go, what is a past tense statement showing what the text meant to the original audience? Then I'm trying to find the purpose of the text. Just because you know the main point, you need to ask yourself, well, why did the author communicate this main point? Like, what was his goal? What need was he trying to address? Because once you find the main point of the text, then that third one is you can find the main point of the sermon, right? So you bring it forward and you make it a present tense statement based on the main point of the text. So, again, it goes back to the expositional idea. I'm not coming up with this stuff out of thin air. I'm wrestling and I'm beating on the text week after week trying to go, what is in this thing so I can tell God's people what is in this thing? Not my idea, but God's idea through me to, to you. And then that's where you see that idea of the purpose of the sermon down there, right? Because if you can find the purpose of the sermon, that's why I like that statement there. The issue of naming the author's purpose is ultimately the issue of relevance for the sermon, right? Because if the people of God then had a need that needed to be met, the idea is that God's people today most likely need to have that same need met, right? So last Sunday, a couple of days ago, it was God's people are going to suffer, but they need to know that they have the promise that victory is theirs. And so when suffering lands in your lap, what's one of the things you struggle with? Like, how long? Is this, like, is this going to ever end? Like, do, do, do I have victory? Can this suffering cause me to just know nothing but defeat? If the Israelites in Babylon needed to know that, that's the same need that needs to be met today. And so that's how I try to jump from text, text forward. And so then what I also, that, so that's expositionally how I just try to do that throughout the week. And then the other word that I use with Brian is just a word, it's a, you know, it's a $2 word for the day. It's homiletically. Homiletics is just the science of how you preach, how you preach a sermon, the art of delivery, I guess you could say. And so this is something I just wanted to give, give to you guys because, I mean, I've, I've heard good, good feedback from, from you guys before. Um, just, just to let you know, like, like, I know, like, when you go and read Ephesians chapter 4, there's different gifts that are given to, to um, the ministers of the church. And he's going through that list in Ephesians 4, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. Um, and one of the gifts is teaching, one of the gifts is preaching. And, like, I understand this about me. I'm learning this about myself in the way that I'm preaching. My preaching tilts more, a little bit more heavily towards teaching. And, like, I understand that. And I've wrestled with that for a long time because I understand that a teaching-ish more style of preaching is not everyone's cup of tea. Like, people want the Matt Chandler or the Driscoll, the very charismatic, just feels like it's rolling off their tongue kind of preaching. 
And a struggle for preachers sometimes is to look at these dudes who are just like hitting home runs seemingly every Sunday and it's like, man, like, what do I need to do to become like him? Um, and so what I've learned over three years is this, is that, man, I'm just not like those guys. Like, that's just not the way God has, God has crafted me. When you put preaching and teaching on the style, I believe God has called me to be a pastor who preaches, but I also understand just like the way my mind is wired and the way God has crafted me to think when I approach a text, it, I tend to see preaching through a bit more of a teaching kind of lens, and that affects, affects my preaching. And so what I typically do when I come to a Sunday morning sermon to deliver that is, and this is what I wanted you guys to know, one, I wanted you to know know that um, about about me, I, that I recognize that. But then what that does is, like, part of my architectural world, like, you know, you did a lot of stuff with straight lines, and I, my mind just tends to think in straight, straight lines. And so on any given Sunday, I typically approach a Sunday morning sermon like this, where either in the intro or right when you head into the application, I'm giving you guys the main idea. Like, I don't always say, like, pop down the big neon sign and wave the flag, this is now the main idea. But in some way, shape, or form, if you pay attention, what I'm doing is that sentence, that main point of the text that has been crafted into the main point of the sermon, like, if you go back and listen to audio and I were to give you just three years' worth of manuscripts, there will be a point in time where that one sentence pops up and makes its way out of my mouth to you on any given Sunday morning. So I'm either trying to give it to you specifically or I'm like, okay, the main point that we see or I might just say like the idea that comes from this text or like this big overarching thing that's going to come up. So I'm trying to give that to you because I want you to be able to have that. And then what I do is as I start working through the text, it's easy to do with um, uh, like an epistle like to Paul, right? Because like he said, there's a main idea. And then usually Paul's like, therefore, because you know, in conclusion, you know, basically. And it's like, it's not hard to find the main points there. But what I'm trying to do is I'll give little phrases. So like last week, it was this. The main idea was God's people are going to suffer, but they have the promise that victory will come to them. They will receive the kingdom. And if you're, if you're listening, I said this, we're going to see a great suffering and we're going to see a great victory. And that's really how I divided the text. Those are two main ideas. We need to know that God's people are going to suffer, but we also need to know God's people are going to have a great victory. And that's really how you can divide up the last half of Daniel chapter 7. And so what hopefully that will do, and we'll talk about this here in a little bit, is this will become some of the ways that then you can have hooks, thoughts of big ideas in a sentence or two to be able to take home with you and start going, okay, it's like, what does this mean for my life? And that's what this third sheet that you have in that little packet is going to be, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But that's how I tend to craft a sermon. So if you like, in this is what we're going to talk about listening, is that idea of a big idea will eventually come out of mouth, either on the front end in the intro or right as we're rolling into the application at the end. But then I just try to give little mental hooks along the way to say, if you want to look at verses 19 through 23, we're going to see a great suffering. And so those are, if you're the note taker, that's the thing you want to write down as you're listening, that kind of thing. So that's how. That's good. That was going to be obviously the longer one. So, yeah, but yeah, that's good. So that's kind of some insight into how you craft your sermon. So I guess um, everything that's that girds that or is behind that. Um, what's your what's your goal? So obviously you craft, but you have to craft with a goal in mind. What's your goal for in preaching? What's your goal for yourself? What's your goal for us? Um, so we can go like big level and like small level, like micro and. And macro, um, like so at the big scale, the macro level, like right, the the main aim, like when I come on and just 
approach my desk, this idea of me being a preacher is the easy one. Like, I want people to love Jesus, but there's also this idea of, like, I want people to be matured in Christ, right? Um, This goes back to Ephesians chapter 4, where my job has been called with the other pastors is to equip you guys for the ministry, to equip the saints for for the ministry. And so one of the ways that I've been called to do that is by preaching on any given Sunday. It's, it's in other ways as well, but that's one of the big tasks that's been given to me. So on any given Sunday, one of my big aims is to try to so teach, preach in such a way to where hearts are affected from God's Word, so that way you guys are equipped and matured in some way to be able to go along um, down, down the line. Um, the other verse that is just really important to me, I know it's important to Pastor Tom as well, is Colossians 1, 28-29. This is Paul speaking. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone. So there's that proclaim language, again, that he was talking about earlier. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So why do you do this, Paul? Why do you proclaim Jesus? Why do you warn? Why do you teach with all wisdom? So that we may present everyone mature in Christ is the phrase there so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And, and this is the reality of pastoral ministry, verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So this kind of preaching and giving myself the saying, I mean, it's a toil. It's a good toil, but it's, a hard, it's hard work. You know, I'm in Daniel chapter 8 right now. So the past two days I've been reading about rams, butt, and goats, and 2,300 evenings and days and little horns and hosts and Gabriel's and now showing up and he's talking about stuff and it's like sweet mercy that the commentators are even going what what does this even have to do with us today like man this ain't a good sign man if the commentators are writing it, it's like man the people are asking it you know and so it's just toil it's hard work to try to go okay what is here obviously God has a message for his people here and so it's a toil to be able to do this on the micro level um, it can be these three things. You know, on any given Sunday, when you come here and then you walk out the door after listening to a sermon, I wrote these down. I want to stir you up to feed yourself. There's no way I can say everything that you ever need to know in order to mature as a disciple. There's just no way. There's no way I can say everything that can be said from a text. So my aim is to come and almost like, right, I don't want to be a milk server. I want to be a meat server. But sort of think of like the Golden Corral, and you're walking down the buffet line, and they've got the guy who's always serving like, like the world's most ridiculously big piece of steak. And what I'm going to do is I'm cutting off a little piece of the corner, and I'm feeding you a piece of steak, because what I want you to do is then to go home and go like, I tasted something good, and I want to learn how to feed myself from this. That's one of my aims on any given Sunday. The other is to stir you up to maturity. That's that idea of Colossians 1. But then also um, the third one is just to remind you of the gospel. There's a reason why we just constantly beat the drum of Christ and the good news that we have in Christ. One, because Jesus said it was possible to do this. He said that was the point of the Scriptures. Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples are bummed out because this guy Jesus has died. He's like, well, we, we thought everything was going good. And so Jesus is like, why are you guys bummed out? And they're like, what rock have you been living under, man? The guy we thought was the Messiah was, is dead. And they didn't realize it was Jesus. And so then it says, Jesus then opened his mouth and beginning basically with the prophets, the writings, all the Old Testament up to his day basically began to say, all of this stuff points forward to me. The whole point of the Bible is about, is about me. And so what we have is me trying to remind you every day. In Second Peter chapter 1, Peter says, it's no skin off my back to remind you and to cause you to remember the things you already know because me reminding you to remember. He uses the word like remember like five times like in two verses. It's like, I think what he wants us to do is to remember, to remember Jesus. And like, that's, that's my aim. So whether it's Daniel 8, the Gospels, 
the Psalms, Revelations, or whatever it is to try to stir you guys up to remember Jesus as we, as we go out. That's good. I think your Golden Corral analogy breaks down. Um, in, in, you're more of a Cooper's Hawk, Ruth's Chris steak kind of guy. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You. You're welcome. Yeah. I'll receive it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's good. How do you want us to listen to you? Sure. So for the listening, what I want you guys to do is look at that third document that I gave you guys here. It's this one here. It says Sermon Application Grid. So what's my expectation of this and what's, what's, my, what's not my expectation of this? My expectation for this is not that you guys would necessarily make, you know, go home. Some of you are going to do this, and that's just fine. But some of you, you know, you're going to go home and make a bunch of copies of these so you can start bringing them on Sundays now because you're like, man, the pastor gave me something. I'm going to start doing it. It's like, okay, I mean, that would be cool. But, like, that's not necessarily the aim. The aim is for me to try to give you some way to go because this is something, you know, that every pastor hears at some point in time is like, like, I'm not getting anything out of your sermon. It's like, sometimes that's true. It's like, man, sometimes I didn't get anything out of my sermon, and I'm the one who's preaching it, okay? But there's sometimes when it's like, man, you know, how, how are we listening and thinking? So if you look at that sermon application grid, you can think of it in, in this way. So I want to explain the grid just real quick, and then what I want to do is try to grab some of the points from Daniel chapter 7 and just stick them on here. So that way this can maybe just become some of the routine conversation you're having, maybe on your drive home post-Sunday Maybe it's Sunday afternoon, you're getting up from that afternoon snooze, and then it's like, man, let's talk about the, the sermon or whatever. So if you're looking at that sermon application grid, it simply breaks down like this. You see three categories, gospel, church, world. These are three categories that are absolutely huge to the way we think and do ministry here at Delta Church, gospel, church, world. And so hopefully two of these categories will sound somewhat familiar. The gospel category should sound familiar because we just did a sermon series on this when we talked about the good news of the kingdom, the good news of the cross, and the good news of grace. Our argument as Delta Church is, in order to understand the gospel well, you need to have these categories for understanding the gospel, the good news of God's kingdom, the good news of God's cross, the good news of God's grace. The next category is this idea of the church, who we are in the gospel. If you want little miniature definitions, all you've got to look down is the bottom of that application grid, right? Gospel. How does this passage drive us to the gospel? What has God done for us in regard to the kingdom, cross, grace, church? When you are saved, you are given new identities in Christ. And that's what that middle grid is about. So if you look at it, when you become a believer, you are now a worshiper of God. You are now a witness for God. You are now a servant of God. You have now been crafted into the family of God. You are now a disciple of God. Right? So that bottom sentence, how does this passage call us to be the church, who we are? What in this passage is calling me to be a worshiper, to be a witness? How am I supposed to be a servant unto others in light of what I've just learned inside this Bible passage? The world idea is just this. It's how does this passage release us into, into the world to be where you are, right? So all of us have a location, a place where, where we live. All of us have a vocation, a place where we work. Most of us have some form of recreation, a place where we just rest, or we just are just that third place, the coffee shop, the Y, or somewhere in between. And in the world, that idea of restoration, where brokenness is and what we need to restore. And so think about the sermon from this past Sunday. 
You wrote down passage, Daniel 7, 15 through 28. Under that little main point blank there, you wrote down this. Man, I think I just heard Pastor John towards the end of his sermon say something along the lines of, God's people are going to suffer, but they have the promise of victory. They will receive the kingdom in the end. Okay? And so when you write down point number one, it's this. We're going to see a great suffering. A point number two is this. We're going to see a great victory. So the question is, when it comes to God's people and the fact that they are going to suffer... What does this tell us about the gospel? One of the things you might mind might drift to is this, man, because I'm in Christ, suffering cannot de- make me depart from Jesus. That's Romans chapter 8. That's just one thing. I just I, I have these not planned out. It just immediately came to my head. I mean, I didn't preach that on Sunday, but that's a legit application from Daniel chapter 7. God's people are going to suffer. How does the, what, what does this mean about God's good news of the cross and the fact that His grace has brought me into the family of God? And you might go, man, man, you know, this mind just makes me think of Romans chapter 8 and how this works. Maybe you go over here to the point under the, under the church. God's people are going to suffer. There's a great suffering that God's people experience now, and it's going to come. How does this affect the way that I worship and I witness? Our temptation when suffering lands in our lap is to stop being worshipers. Why? Because life's not going good. But the Bible says my worship to God isn't dependent upon whether I'm suffering or not. It's dependent upon the fact that I'm in Christ because His grace has ransomed me and brought me to the family of God. Maybe it's this idea of your... your um, your identity as a witness. Oftentimes, our witness, our suffering becomes a magnificent witness in the workplace. When you go into the workplace and all hell is breaking loose and suffering is what you're eating for breakfast and people know about it and yet still see you praising and worshiping your God, that will preach better and more deeply, more impactful than anything I could ever do on a Sunday morning. And so that's just one sub-point of last week's sermon that now maybe we're starting to build, build categories for like, so all these sermon series we're doing on whole gospel and whole church, it's not because we just have nothing else better to do. We're trying to build categories of thinking for you. So on the drive home from Sunday, you know, you're like, man, that was sort of flat. That sermon didn't really hit it for me. But like, he said this one point, that really makes me think of the kingdom. The book of Daniel is all about the gospel of the kingdom. Like if you guys have been paying attention, there's kingdom implications all over the place. So it's like, how does the gospel of the kingdom, how do we see that in the book of Daniel? Discuss amongst yourselves, right? Point number two, and go down the line. So that's just a way that, you know, when it comes to listening, maybe you just have this grid in the back of your mind now, and as you're hearing something, there's just one thing that fires up in your mind. You're like, man, he just said that, and that feels like that's really important. Maybe that just becomes a lunchtime discussion somewhere about how your identity in the gospel, maybe it's a discussion about the gospel. Maybe it's like, man, like I know somebody in my workplace in the world who needs to know this truth, and I can go and tell them. This, this truth, because I see suffering happening in their life, and they're a believer, and they don't have anybody speaking this truth into them. So now you're equipped to be able to go, man, this past week God spoke through Daniel 7 in this way. Now I've heard, now I've learned, and I really think God is telling me to impart this truth to you. And so now the gospel has equipped you to be a witness into the world, gospel church world. And so those are just some categories and some ways of thinking when it comes to listening so um how can we pray for you during your week your preparation yeah when it comes to just praying for me i mean it really just comes down to um the two things if you think about that the idea of um x that the definition he gave for expositional preaching right basically preaching the main idea of the text about the works and the acts of god in christ um 
empowered by the Spirit. For the most part, and hopefully this isn't, sound, this isn't meant to sound braggadocious if it is. Like, I mean, most of us, if you just sit down and read your Bible, you're going to understand the main point of that text, generally. Like, right, it's, that's one of the truths about the Scripture. Like, right, you can read it and go like, man, I don't know everything, but like I sort of get like the main idea of, this, of what this text is. When it comes to preaching and doing that, you know, I, I generally don't struggle with that. The back end of that definition, that idea of um, proclaiming the acts, the wonders, and the works of God in, in Christ, you know, I mean, I don't always see it very clearly, but, like, I'm praying and trying to go, God, help me see this. It's that middle part to where, I mean, I would covet your prayers on being empowered, empowered by the Spirit. And we didn't work this out, but, I mean, it's the same verses you quoted earlier. It's that First Corinthians chapter 2. I think it's on the first page of your packet verses 10 through 13, where Paul is talking about, like, right, we've received stuff from the Spirit. What I want others to do is to know this. And so he says, we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from... I'm sorry. Not, now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Like, all right, one of the things you can do to pray for me is just praying, and I ask you guys this often. I have a couple of text strings where I send this out. Like, on, on usually on Saturdays, I'm trying to get everything into writing. Is like, I need you guys to be praying for me that the Holy Spirit would do something here greater than, that's greater than me. And then the other idea is this, just natural this idea of natural versus supernatural. One of the stories I love in the Old Testament is 1 Kings 18, where Elijah um, basically goes toe-to-toe with the prophets of Baal. Do you guys remember Remember this? Um, Elijah's sort of on his own, like he's the only prophet that's rolling. And so the king comes around and says, what we need to do is basically have like, you know, like a religious face-off. So the prophets of Baal come, and what they do is they build an altar, and they're, they're walking around, and they're doing all these sorts of things. They're cutting themselves. It's really funny because then Elijah starts to mock them. He's like, maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he's relieving himself. Like, right, there's a potty joke in the Old Testament, right? He's saying, like, maybe your God's, like, on the throne, you know, like, and he can't, he can't come. And so they start cutting themselves and lancing themselves. It says blood is gushing out of them. And then it says there's absolutely nothing, nothing happens because they're doing all this to false gods, Right. And so then what Elijah does, he comes, there was a temple of God there that had been ransacked by the people. And so what Elijah does is he does a good work. He does a natural work. He does what he knows he's supposed to do. He rebuilds the altar. He puts the bowl on top of there. He does everything he's supposed to do according to God's law. He pours a bunch of water on there just to make sure everyone knows, like, you know, this isn't like some freak, like little match started this thing. He thoroughly drenches everything. And basically he steps back, and this is my paraphrase of what he prays. He basically steps back and goes like, God, like if you don't show up right now and basically scorch this sacrifice, like it's going gonna, it's gonna to go really bad. Like I need you to do a great work here so that everyone can see what's going on. And then that's what happens. God answers. And so the parallel I take from that in regard to preaching is Elijah had something to do. He had a task to do. He had to do the good work of rightly building the altar. But just the good work of rightly building the altar isn't what impressed people. It's when the great work of God showed up that people were like, 
completely blown away. It's the supernatural versus natural. He did the natural work of just stacking some stones and laying a bowl and doing all that stuff. But so when the supernatural fire of God fell from heaven, that the king, that the prophets of Baal, and everyone, it says, fell on their knees and they were pranking, they're making their praises to the Lord their God. So I've got a job to do. I have the natural good work of getting up here, studying, doing these sorts of things. But unless the great supernatural work of God through the Spirit falls on Sunday morning and in my study from you guys praying for me in these things, it's like, what in the world are we doing? Like, you guys don't need to waste 45 minutes on, on any given Sunday just to come and listen to me give a lecture from the Bible. We don't, we don't need that. I don't need that. But what, I, what we do need is the Spirit of the living God to come and open your hearts to hear and open my eyes to see so I can preach in a, in a powerful way. So, like, if you want to sum all that up, it's like, man, I need you guys to pray that the Holy Spirit just explodes in my study and explodes in the pulpit and explodes in your hearts. We need a move of the Spirit. Because that's when lost people are going to come through our doors and they're going to go, like, there's something different in this place. That's what you see in the book of Acts all the time. God shows up mainly by the Spirit of the living God empowering ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and the church just explodes by the thousands. Not because Peter was a great preacher, but because Peter was filled by a great spirit. So that's how you guys can pray for me. That's good. We'll do. Any questions for our pastor? So how do I determine the length of a preaching text on a Sunday? Yeah. So um, it, just, it just depends. Usually, like, right, I mean, this just goes back to, like, sort of, like, grammar or literature 101, right? A, a complete thought is usually encapsulated inside a paragraph, right? You've got your main sentence and some supporting ideas. If you look in your Bible, whenever you see those little indentations in your Bible, that's the, basically the Bible folk telling you, like, there's a, there's a thought that's going on here. And so if I, that's usually what I'm looking at is like because I, I, I need to preach a main thought, right? I need a main idea because I'm reliant upon the text to tell me what's the main idea here. And those can be bigger or smaller. Some of the better preachers can take like, you know, whole, whole chapters and, and, and shrink it down. I'm not that good yet, so I usually have to take a little bit, bit smaller chunks. Narrative preaching, it's just in Daniel, almost every chapter is a standalone thought by itself. There's usually a main idea being conveyed by chapter, so that's why... That's why we do something like that. Um, and then how do we determine the text? Usually I'm, I'm punched out about six months to a year out on where I think we should be going. So, for instance, we're going to end on the end of January in the book of Daniel. Then we're going to go into the book of Titus. Why Titus? Because a lot of people have been asking about doctrine, complementarianism, and the gospel. And all three of those are couched right there in Titus. So there again, I'm not coming up with anything new. God's already talked about it, so we're just going to go to it. Like, what's the role of men? What's the role of women? What does it mean when, Titus, when Paul says to Titus that a woman is supposed to be the one in charge of her house? What's it supposed to mean that older men are to teach younger, younger men? Why does he use the word sound doctrine like four or five times in, in there? It's because he's trying to tell us and teach us stuff about the gospel. So we're going there. And then after that, what we'll probably do is go back in the Old Testament. Actually, I sort of like your idea. I've been thinking about probably Psalm, Psalm 119, going through and just picking out some key portions of Psalm 119. We've gone through the psalm, psalms before. I'm also toying with the idea of going into a gospel for a while. Um, the gospel of Mark has been on my mind. So I just find myself every now and then praying and just asking God, what do you, what do you want to do? Where are we going? What do the people need? And then I start dividing it up. 
because now that I'm not going to Titus, I mean, I've been looking at Titus before we've been living at Daniel. So when I go and look at Titus, it's not like, whoa, I'm not, I'm not blown away. I've been incubating in it for a while, reading some commentaries ahead of time, trying to, again, sink my feet into that context. So, I mean, I don't have a, a list in my head, but the two resources I use, um, so R.C. Sproul is a faithful man of God. Um, he's a Presbyterian Church of America, solid, solid brother. Um, he's got a ministry called Ligonier. Um, I don't know the exact name of the webpage on it, but somewhere, if you go to Ligonier.com and basically search, like, um, best of commentaries kind of thing, they've just got one page collated with links to books of the Bible where they give the basically the top five um, commentators per per book of the Bible with honorable mentions, new ones coming out, that kind of thing. And then there's another website called bestcommentaries.com. And so if you want more of like a reformed Presbyterian, you know, very streamlined, I guess, orthodox sort of way looking at it. So what I do is I go there because that's a lot of those de- adjectives define us. But then now if you go to bestcommentaries.com, what it is is basically like an it aggregates like from all these different lists and sources out there, and so that also just gives you maybe some other ones that the Ligonier folk didn't didn't do. I'm usually grabbing the top two, three, four, four on there. Sojourn Network. I'll send off something to them sometimes. Like what's been helpful to you? Just because one one gets a big hit doesn't mean that it's good for preaching or understanding a text. You know, those sorts of things. So it's usually those two sites, Ligonier, and I think it's BestCommentaries.com is the name of the website I go to. Other questions? Um, so, I mean, part of your answer is yes and no. I mean, like, right, so if you go to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, Peter talking to the brothers and sisters that were the original audience for him, he basically says everything that we need for life and godliness, God has given to us. The implication is in the scriptures because he talks about that over in chapter 3, I think, um, the scriptures. Um, and so in one answer, the answer is no, because even Jesus says in Luke 24, like everything in the Old Testament in some way, shape, or form points forward to me. So there's in some way, shape, or form always a bridge forward. Uh, just because there's always a bridge forward doesn't mean that the, your pastor's good enough to actually <laughs> maybe stick that delivery, right? Like a gymnast going off. I mean, yeah, you, you, you stuck the landing, but it was like a two, bro. I mean, you're falling over like, you know, your legs snapped and you're shooting off the side. Like you got there, but you didn't really get there, you know? And so like, that's why I say part of your answer is like, has that ever not happened? In one sense, the answer is no, because there's always a bridge forward. Have there been times when I get down walking off the stage, walking away, and I'm like, oh, no. Like, that was, like, you know, we just watched the Christmas, uh, or White, White Christmas. One of my favorite, favorite lines is whenever um, uh, 
Danny Kay and the, the girl were engaged, but then they basically find out, Bing Crosby finds out that they're not engaged. He's like, and so Danny Kay goes, I laid an egg. He's like, brother, you laid a Vermont, vo- Vermont volleyball. It's one of my favorite lines. I have no idea why. But there's times when I get down and I feel like I've laid the Vermont volleyball to our psych. I'm pretty sure nobody was edified by that. Um, either because I didn't make the connections well or like I didn't quite explain it as well as I wanted. So that's me personally. But it's also during those times where people come up and go, man, like that was really good. And it's just like, okay, obviously. You know, the idea of the spirit imparting things to people's hearts as the spirit speaking to me. Because it's like, I, that's sure, that was by no imagination anything that I, I pulled off. Um, and there's times where I get down and I'm like, ah, yeah. And everyone's like, and there's crickets. People are like beelining out the door. It's like, man, like this is the one I thought I was supposed to get compliments on, you know? And so it's just, it's, it's, it's everywhere there in between. So, yeah. Any other questions? Okay, well, thank you, Jonathan. Appreciate it. <clears throat> so we've just got a few minutes left, uh, six minutes left. So, um, I'm just going to direct you. Oh. I don't know. I mean, let the Word of God do its thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to direct you to this, this booklet. Um, listen up. It's, it's kind of neat. It's short. It's... Um, one of the redeeming, edifying qualities about this is, I'm pretty sure Christopher Ash. The, uh, the author, I'm pretty sure he's British because he kind of uses a lot of, I don't think there's any like real colloquialisms, but just the names that he uses in there and kind of how he talks. And uh, there's, there's different sections, and he talks how two different people uh, approach a sermon or, or an aspect of listening to a sermon, and then he summarizes. He's kind of funny. So in this, he talks about Finley and Ellie. You know, Finley does this while Ellie does this. And he goes, Finley is lazy. Ellie is wise. And so it's just, just some, some kind of humor about, uh, you know, don't, don't do this, but, but do this. Um, I, I put for, this forward as a, as a good little resource to help us listen. Um, how to listen to a sermon. Uh, expect God to speak. Um, it, God has built his church. He's commanded us to preach. Um, he does, he's, he's commanded these things for a reason. Uh, expect God to speak, especially when we talked about uh, how the Holy Spirit empowers the preacher and empowers the listener. Um, second, admit God knows better than you. Um, listening and preaching is a humbling thing because um, we, we are submitting ourselves to, to God's Word and to what the preacher says. Um, check what the preacher says when the check that the preacher says what the passage says. So this necessarily implies open Bibles. You're you're understanding your. You're understanding what you're reading, seeing if what the, the preacher is saying corresponds to what you're reading. Hear the sermon in church. In other words, we're, be present. There's something about hearing a sermon in a church that's way different from hearing it online. And I think particularly this is, is I think Edwards talks about the, the affections, how you know even if you come away from a sermon being like, I really didn't know, I can't remember exactly every point, but boy, I felt convicted about this, or I really felt God's love, or I know that God loves me. I know that God is gracious to me. So there's an affection part of it that you you get when you're listening to the sermon in a church, in a church context, as opposed to online. Be there week by week. Do what the Bible says. Do what the Bible says today and rejoice. Um, So joyfully submit yourself to God's word. 
Um, remove unnecessary distractions. So, man, I, I love and hate my phone at the same time. And I find myself, like, reading Scripture on my phone, and it's a habit that I need to break because all I need to do is, like, double-click, left, pull up something else, and then all of a sudden I'm distracted. I don't have God's Word in front of me. Um, so a, a, a dangerous thing. So r- remove unnecessary distractions. And this also can apply to where you, where you sit in church. There's a, a, a family who came to our church. Uh, they, they moved away um, four or five years ago, and they sat right here, second row. And the reason was because he sits anyplace else, he gets, he gets too distracted. So um, I'm not saying remove the people from in front of you, just change your spot, spot in, the, in the church. So remove any unnecessary distractions. Have a method of internalizing the sermon. You know, Jonathan mentioned a great one. When you're on your way home, talk about the sermon. When you're with your family eating lunch, talk about the sermon. What did that sermon mean for you? How did that edify you? What did you take away from that? You know, take notes, take mental notes, draw, do word art. Um, if I did word art, people would think, uh, I don't know, is this a serial killer? You know, I, I don't know. So I, I, I don't have that gift. Um, it, would, it would look very, look very bad. Um, but, but some people, you know, Charles Campbell, he does a lot of word art. So when he takes notes, he does, does word art. Uh, anyway, you can internalize the sermon. So how do we encourage good preaching? How, do we, how can we encourage um, uh, Jonathan? Pray for the preacher. Um, you know, God works in prayer. God, that, that, that's a good prayer to pray for your, for your pastor. So God will, God will do that. God will equip Jonathan via your prayer. Um, tell the preacher you're praying for him. That, that gives the preacher confidence. That gives Jonathan confidence that, uh, for, for many reasons, but that you want him to do a good job. You want him to succeed. Be there. So it's, it's, I mean, it's easier to preach to an audience than it is to preach to a handful of people. So that's one aspect of being there. But also, that's an encouragement to the preacher. This person has come to hear God's word. As a pastor, that, that does your, your heart well, that this, this person is here. They want to learn. They want to know God more. They want to uh, be closer to God. Um, so that's an encouragement to the pastor, encouragement to good preaching. Thank them. Thank Jonathan for, for what he does, the hard work he does, um, whether that's a, a note of thanks, a handshake, a slap on the back, a hug. Um, thank thank your, your preachers. Uh, be prepared to be constructively and supportively critical. So don't just dispense every, every opinion you have, but uh, say Jonathan asks you, what did you think about that? Be prepared to have have an answer, some way to be supportively and constructively critical if, if necessary. Um, you, you may think like, gosh, I don't want to hurt his feelings, but uh, coming off, I used to ask Amanda this uh, when I'd preach, I'd say, Amanda, what three things would you change about that sermon? She hated that question because I don't think she wanted to hurt my feelings, but it's something that, uh, that I needed, needed to hurt here to become a, a better, better preacher. And lastly, relate to your preacher. So it's much easier to, to hear a sermon when you know the person who's, who's preaching. So whether that means introducing yourself to Jonathan for the first time, uh, hanging out with him, just having a conversation with him, um, that's going to help you and that's going to help him. Some ways we can encourage good preaching. So um, as we wrap up, I'm sorry, we're one minute over. Let me, let me pray for us. Thank you all for being here. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word which instructs us. Thank you for the examples we have in scripture of, of, of solid biblical preaching. God, we thank you that you've placed us in a church that values expository preaching, preaching what your word says, not our own ideas or thoughts, but 
really seeks to expound the text. Thank you for bringing Jonathan to this church. Thank you for the heart he has uh, for the people in this church, the heart he has for, for you and glorifying you through preaching. We thank you for the hard work he does week in, week out. Lord, thank you for Delta. Thank you for uh, everyone here. Pray that you would draw us closer to you uh, and closer to one another. Uh, I ask that you see us home safely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you didn't grab a book, make sure you get a book on the way out and uh, the handouts Jonathan had, they're back there as well. Um, have a good night, everyone. If you have any other questions, just ask Jonathan. He knows everything.